Hey you guys, it's Daisha. So it's Music Education Month this month, but it's also Bach's birthday month. He would be 334 this year. Youngin'. We thought this was a great time to bring out an interview I did with pianist Simona Dinnerstein several years ago. This episode is kind of the perfect Venn diagram intersection of Music Ed Month and Bach's Birthday Month because this is all about an initiative that Simona does called Bach Packing, where she goes to elementary schools and she takes a digital keyboard into individual classrooms and teaches kids about Bach. And something I really like about Simona is how involved in her community she is. Like, even though she's this big deal pianist touring all over the place, she's also a mom. And this Bach packing thing is actually a kind of grassroots effort. I think it's really inspiring, and uh, maybe it'll give you ideas about things that you too can do to bring and keep music education in your community. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy the episode right after this word from our sponsor. Maestro Classics, our beloved sponsors, are the creators of an awesome series for kids called Stories in Music. The series includes a narrator who tells stories, along with music that's played by the London Philharmonic Orchestra. This series has activity books, there are educational tracks with a conductor, all kinds of stuff. Everybody, young and old, loves Maestro Classics award-winning CDs and MP3s, and you will too. To learn more, visit maestroclassics.com slash classicalclassroom. And now, on with the show. There's a rumor going around that classical music can be hoity-toity. But here in the classical classroom, we beg to differ. Beethoven 5. <laughs> the idea that classical music is a zone where we have to feel restricted or we have to act in a certain way, you know, that's not going to be helpful going forward. <laughs> Isaiah is shaking with excitement oh, here. I mean, there's just so many great parts of the opera. He asked me to play his favorite spot in the first moon of the Brahms. He said, I started using those licks in my guitar solos. It's how to be classical music rock stars because there's not enough of that in this business. Occasionally I would plug in the mandolin to my distortion pedals. <laughs> I don't change my voice. And talking to classical I, voice. I'm playing classical music now. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the same 12 notes. That's what's so cool about it. I'm Daisha Clay, a classical music newbie, and I'm trying to learn all I can about the music. Come learn with me and the classical music experts I invite into the Classical Classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is a very special guest, uh, Miss Simona Dinnerstein, who is a super famous pianist. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to say it, because <laughs> you are. Uh, having you here is... It's actually kind of a wish come true because last week I was listening to the Diane Reem show, listening to your interview. I came into the station and I said to Todd, our producer, man, I heard this really cool lady that we should have on the classical classroom. And he said, uh, oh, she's coming into the station next week. <laughs> so so here you are. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. When we first started doing the show, I had zero lofty goals about what we would do with the show, but since we started, I've had a lot of educators write in to me and say that they they use the show in their classroom. And on the one hand, I think, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I'm I'm so flattered that that's and and glad that people are finding it useful. On the other hand, I'm kind of sad about it because when I was a kid, I didn't have a podcast. I had my music teacher, Mr. Pruitt, you know, mm-hmm. and it was part of our curriculum. Mm-hmm. 
So one of the reasons that I thought that you would be a good fit for for our show is because you're doing this thing called the Bach Packing Initiative, where you essentially are going out to schools that are sort of, I'd say, musically underserved and going in and teaching them about Bach inventions and other things, I'm sure. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to start doing the Bach Packing Initiative and just give us the basics? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I agree with you. I think that it's really horrible how um, our country has kind of abandoned the arts and education as something that's crucial. And what I'm doing is in no way replacing that. I mean, we really need music teachers in the schools. Kids Mm -hmm. need to learn music. And it's not just because music helps them with math. It's because music is is great in its own right Mm -hmm. and, and something that's enriching and important. What I felt with the Bach packing was that I wanted to be able to connect to students in a classroom setting. Um, usually when I go to play in schools, I play in auditoriums for you know, a couple of hundred kids. And I, you know, while that's really nice, I think it's much more intimate and it makes more of an impact if you're up close to a group of kids. And the thing that was holding me back was having an instrument to do that with because you can't really drag a piano from classroom to classroom. (laughs) You can, but it would be super hard. (laughs) Um, And I I just thinking, oh, you know, if I could just strap one onto my back and go into classrooms, that would be amazing. And then I thought about the fact that Bach inventions actually work quite well on a keyboard, on a digital keyboard. And so I asked Yamaha if they might help with this, and they said yes, and they've been amazing. And so they've provided digital keyboards for all of the schools that don't have any. And um, I grew up in New York. Yeah, you're you're in Brooklyn, I'm in Brooklyn, and I went to neighborhoods like, I went to the South Bronx, Mm -hmm. I went to parts of Harlem I'd not been to, and these are all really underserved communities. Mm -hmm. And the children were just amazing and uh, the teachers were amazing actually I mean it's really impressive what teachers are doing so it's been really an amazing experience and I hope that I can expand this to be something that I do wherever I travel yeah yeah I mean to be able to see a musician play not as this person sort of removed on a stage, but as a as a person in the room with you. Mm-hmm. I, I saw some of your videos and your hands are just flying across the, the keys and the kids are just staring going, what <laughs> is happening right now? <laughs> and um, I know like when I was a kid, it was cool to see things on stage, but to see like somebody come and do something cool in front of me, like that stuck with me, Yeah, you know? And it's so interactive. Like, you're actually, you're getting the kids to be part of the lesson. How are they liking Bach? Like, these pieces were written almost 300 years ago. So how how are little kids today responding to that? Well, first I would say that most of them had never heard of Bach before. This yeah. was the first time. And... I think that they they were really interested in it, especially the more that I that I revealed to them ways of listening to it. I, I think it's it's like anything else. The more you can bring some kind of understanding to it and 
draw a connection to other things that you do understand. Mm -hmm. that, so I try to talk to them about the whole concept in the inventions of there being two voices that are equally important. Right. And that concept, the more they can hear it, then the more the music becomes alive to them when they're listening to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're kind of unpacking what's going on in, in the music. Mm -hmm. and they're, so they're not just hearing notes coming out of a keyboard, they're understanding kind of like the structure behind it. Right. Yeah. I think that, I mean, getting back to studying uh, music and the importance of studying music, I, I think it's quite similar to the studying classic literature. Yeah. I've actually seen a movement away from that in, in the schools. Like my son, he's in a middle school. Mm -hmm. they, they read almost no classic literature. They're oh. reading all contemporary fiction. Wow. And while he's reading interesting books, I think there's, there's a place for the classics. And it's because it teaches us about a, a different time of life, mm -hmm. a, a different era in history, and it's usually literature that's quite challenging to read. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy read. You have to really think. You have to really involve yourself in it. And I think the same is true with classical music. You know, you have to activate a certain part of your brain. You, you can listen to it just for the pleasure of it. You, ca yeah. you can, but you can also listen to it with much more of an involvement and active listening. And that's something that a lot of kids don't know how to do, this kind of active listening. Mm -hmm. um, so when I'm working with them uh, with the Bach packing, that's really what I'm trying to show them, mm -hmm. that, that you, you, know, you can notice things about what you hear and, and they're interesting things. And then when you think about it, you can see how other artists used these same techniques. Yeah. And when you listen to their music, you'll be able to hear it in their music, too. Could you maybe do a little demonstration for us of like what, what you do when you go into the classroom, as long as I don't have to sing? <laughs> well, you might have to sing. <laughs> oh, God. Help you all. One of the things that I do um, with a lot of the classes is I divide them into two groups mm -hmm. and have them each sing a song. And what I do is I'll have half of them sing... Twinkle, twinkle, and the other half sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind this is that they can hear how two different songs can actually layer together at the same time to form one song. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have them switch, like they'll be singing and then I'll say switch, and then they have to sing the other song, they have to switch songs, because that's something that Bach does a lot, where one hand is playing something and then it's thrown over to the other hand, you is know, true? back and forth, that. yeah. And then I'll ask them, oh, so was that easy or was that hard? And a lot of them will say, oh, that was easy. <laughs> and then I'll say, well, uh, <laughs> Why not, the people that said it was easy, I have them come up to the front uh, alone uh -huh. and they have to do it just as a duet without mm -hmm. the whole class supporting them. Two of them have to do it as a duet and they realize how complicated it is to, to sing like that. And then I say to them, okay, now the people that were singing Twinkle Twinkle, I want them to listen to my right hand and the people that were singing row, row, row your boat, I want them to listen to my left hand. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to play this for you, and then I'm going to keep going, 
And I'm going to keep going into a Bach invention, and I want your ears to hold on to the voice that you were singing. So the right hand or the left hand, hold on to it with your ears and keep on listening and see if you can listen to just that hand when I'm playing. Yeah. So then I'll play, you know... Um, Etc. Like that, yeah. and um, and usually they they have a very different experience of listening to it after we do that. Yeah, I bet uh-huh. that I mean I was sitting here and just <laughs> laughing because it's like, how on earth are you dividing your brain in half like that to be able to? <laughs> oh God, that that just kind of hurt my head. A bit. <laughs> That's really cool. So so the kids who come up like like are they? sort of squirming going I don't want to do this are they excited about it are they like into it what what's they're, their they're they're into it yeah. they want to participate they want to be part of it the more i involve them the more excited they are yeah. you know kids don't want to just sit and listen they want to do something right so then i usually move on with them and i'll say okay now i want to i want you to listen to the fact that um, in that situation the right hand played a melody And the left hand played that melody too. Or in another very another invention that I played, this one. The right hand, they are playing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it, usually it takes them a while to hear that. I'll say, if I played the two hands together, like if I didn't play it how Bach wrote it, but I brought them together, they'd be doing... That's what they're doing, right? But the right hand starts, and then the left hand comes in. So your brain has to kind of divide itself up so that you can do that kind of imitation. And then later on in the piece, they switch, and the left hand does... And then the right hand goes... So then the right hand imitates the left hand, and then they switch how they did that. Mm -hmm. And so then I'll ask for two volunteers to come up, and they um, sit at the keyboard next to each other, and I'll give one of them three notes, like these three notes, and I'll say, okay, I want you to make something up with those three notes. Mm-hmm. And then, then the person sitting next to you has to then imitate that. So they'll make us something like... or something like that, and the other one has to, to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, well, sometimes what Bach does is he... He does imitation, but he he does something different with it. So, like in this invention, this one, the the melody is this, and I'll have them see sing it and show them with my hand what it looks like if you were going to make a de- geometric shape mm-hmm. with those notes. It would be like going up. And then coming down, and it's essentially a triangle pointing upwards. And they all see that. They all hear and yeah. see that it's a triangle. And then I'll say, well, in this in this part of the music, he does something where he goes in the left hand. And then he does in the right hand. 
and I'll have them sing this and see how it's the opposite. It's a downward pointing triangle and they're doing the opposite things. You know, Bach was really interested in patterns like that. And I'll teach them the word inversion, that, that, that one hand is inverting what the other did, is turning it upside down. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I'll have the two vo- another two volunteers come up and one of them will make up something and then the other one has to do, to do the opposite and, the, and they play them together and see how they're doing like mirror images of each other. That's the so, coolest. Which is hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't <laughs> sure that they'd be able to do that, but actually they really can do that. Kids are amazing. Like, yeah, we we don't give them enough credit for what they what they can learn, what they can absorb, what they can mimic. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, they're like tiny people. I'm just taking a second here to tell you that if you want to have a fully immersive classical classroom experience, you should go and check out our website. We've got more episodes there about classical music, and you can also download free lesson plans that go along with a lot of our lessons. You can look at pretty pictures. You can connect with us on social media. The website is also scratch and sniff, so if you just scratch your screen a little, you can smell us. I'm just kidding. That's not true. But there is a tip jar where... If you are so moved because you love our episodes and want to support what we do here at Classroom, you can make a one-time or recurring gift of any amount that you like. And if you do that, I'll sing to you in an episode of Classical Classroom. Just you. There's just a little button in the upper right-hand corner that says Tip Jar. Just click it, and then super easy after that. Anyway, by the way, our friends at New Y made our beloved website, and they can make a website for you to love, too. They can help you promote it and your business as well. For more information about New Y, go to classicalclassroomshow.com slash NW. That's N as in new and W as in Y. And now back to my conversation with Simona Dinnerstein. I, I read a little bit about your, your background and you, you did this thing called Neighborhood Classics. Yeah, I have that going on it's too. So, so yeah. I answered mm-hmm. back in 09. And uh, that's a very different kind of a thing. But I loved my favorite part of this program is that you you do these uh, school happenings. Oh yes. Where like it sounded like a guerrilla flash mob takeover. Yes. Of schools where you just go in and like, all right, the music teachers are taking over. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. We did um, we did two of those so far. Um, cool. The first one was I called it the Bach invasion. Uh-huh. I got 18 cellists to uh, to come into the school, mm-hmm. and they went into every single classroom playing the Bach cello suites. Yeah, and it was like a military operation getting it involved because this is a school with 1,500 kids in it, and we visited every single classroom. Mm-hmm. So they would go like every 20 minutes, they'd rotate into other classrooms oh and you'd hear you'd hear various <laughs> cello suites coming from all over the school the entire day and awesome. that and the second one that we did was I called it the Renaissance Revolution mm-hmm. I thought okay I'll get people with period instruments to come and I managed to get again like I think it was around 18 people and including a woman who brought her harpsichord to the school and we had lute players we had uh, viola da gambas we had everything and and they went around to all the different classrooms and they even had the children 
play the instruments. It was amazing. It was really a wonderful thing. That is so cool. Education is lucky to have you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody has been really excited to have it come. Uh, you know, I wanted to go to underserved neighborhoods. I'm much more interested in going mm -hmm. to places like that. I mean, I'm slightly hypocritical because the school where I started Neighborhood Classics, which is a school in Park Slope where I live and where my husband teaches and where my mom teaches, yeah. that's a very affluent neighborhood. It's a public school, but it's a public school in an affluent neighborhood. Um, I feel a personal connection to that school because of being part of it. I sure, even went, I went yeah. to that school when I was a kid, and my son went there, and I have all of this feeling for it. And in that situation, I created a concert series there because I thought this is a neighborhood where all of these people should be going to hear classical music concerts, and they are not. Mm -hmm. You know, like my my friends, you know, the other parents who could afford to go to concerts. They tend not to, for a variety of reasons. You know, cost of babysitting might be part of it, sure. or just inertia. Or I mean, also, <laughs> right. but there's also I have to watch Netflix. <laughs> but there's also there's just a lack of interest. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought if I could create a concert series that's really easy for them to go to, that's in a in a community in their in their school. They are used to going to school. Everybody goes there, and yeah. the kids can go too. It's not like you have to find a babysitter then maybe all these people will come. And what has been incredible in that situation is that all of the concerts are sold out. And it's all those people that, you know, the New York Philharmonic is trying to get to come to their concerts. It's like the 30-something-year-olds, the 40-something-year-olds that are, you know, kind of middle-class, upper-middle-class people. But in terms of the Bach packing project that I'm doing where I'm going into classrooms, in that situation, I feel um, like I really want to go to classrooms where they they don't have music or they mm -hmm. they don't they're living in neighborhoods where they wouldn't really have any connection to classical music. Since Bach, you know, meant for these to be musical training tools, they lend themselves so well to being lessons, and, mm -hmm. so, and these kids don't have that, so right. it still makes sense. I mean, some of it, yeah. sometimes I went to some schools, especially in D.C., there were some schools where they, there was there was a real, like, it was like I was speaking in a totally different language. Wow. And they just really had trouble connecting to me, uh -huh. you know? And so then I tried to, I tried to talk in their language. So, yeah. you know, like I was talking about duets mm -hmm. and I said, okay, name me some singers that you listen to that sing duets. Mm -hmm. And so they named a whole lot of different people and some of the one of the people that they know that I know that they were listening to is Jay Z. Yeah. So um Jay Z does a lot of duets and uh so a famous one would be with um, mm -hmm. Justin Timberlake or whatever. Yeah. And I'll say to them, do they ever sing at the same time? Get out to see Hope. And they would be like, uh, no, they no, no, they don't. And uh, why, why don't they sing at the same time? Because we couldn't understand what they were saying if they were both singing at the same time, yeah. which is true. But it also, it, we live in a, in a world musically, the, the 
popular music where we want to focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. There's much less layering of intricacy in music. So I think even though I think Jay-Z is doing interesting collaborations with people that are singing in a different style than he is rapping, yeah. I would be really interested to hear him do something where he would continue to rap while other people are singing mm -hmm. and see what that produces. But he would probably never do that. Yeah. Um, so then I'll show them, I'll play them something again and say, listen, in Bach, he's thinking about it completely differently than Jay-Z. He's thinking that the two voices should be happening at the same time, mm -hmm. um, but they're not doing the same thing. Like the other thing that they know is singing in harmony. So I'll say, you know, if you listen to this part, that's singing in harmony. Which, which? Uh, this is from the B flat invention. B -flat, okay. So in that, very, in that invention, there's this wonderful part where they start to play together yeah. in harmony. And that's something that's a very natural desire for us to sing in harmony. Mm -hmm. That's If you listen to people sing just folk so songs together, the people with lower voices will naturally take lower notes than the people with higher voices, and we just naturally sing in harmony together. But... Bach only uses that for very special moments. He doesn't use it all the time. Mostly, you know, you're having... Where they're playing two different things. So I'm know. sure at that moment, the, when you've said Justin and Jay-Z, the kids are like, oh, this all makes sense yeah. now. <laughs> Finally, lady, we know what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> That's great. That's great that you're kind of able to, you know, make that connection or that you got desperate enough trying to talk to them. Oh, no. No, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot. And one little boy in one school said, well, he had an example of where two people saying two different things at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, musicals. And I thought, wow, you're totally right. I hadn't thought of that. It's like a, to a genre that I never think about, really. Yeah. But of course, in musicals, you will have duets where they're singing different words at the same time. Right. And then I was trying to think about rock music that might be more like Bach. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, some a group like Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. That's, that is contrapuntal. I mean, mm -hmm. they're the guitar is equal to the voice and the drums are not doing a constant rhythm i mean everything was kind of experimental and different and they were and they were really thinking about music as many different layers working together and they were it, the words are not necessarily the most important thing in a led zeppelin song right and so that that's quite un quite interesting, but I don't think there's a lot of rock today that is like that. That well, I don't know. I think about bands like like Radiohead. I mean maybe Radiohead, yeah. Radiohead and kind of more sort of prog rock bands right, like that yeah. do more kind of sophisticated mm -hmm. things. But like the yeah. really popular greatest right. hits at the moment are not doing anything like yeah. that. Like your nickelbacks are not they're not uh No. 
I don't know, I don't even know if Nickelback is still or on the radio like, anymore. Or um, like Coldplay so or something like that. You know, I don't know. I I, I get lost in the genres. Yeah, me too. <laughs> my totally. son is my guide. What does what your son listen to? Um, my son is into, he's listening to so much at the moment. I don't even know. His latest one is he's listening to um, Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, that's a great band. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. They just put it out a new album. Oh, did they? Yeah. I don't know if that's what he's listening to. Yeah, I just heard uh, one of their new songs on All Songs Considered. It was really good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just briefly before we stop chatting, um, I wanted to ask you why why these uh, inventions appeal so much to you. Like, what is it that you love so much about them that, that you feel like, you know, they need to be taught to one and all? The inventions, they, they really built who I am in many ways. And I think that they do that for many people, that you learn about, um, you learn about counterpoint as a, as a pianist, you learn about counterpoint uh-huh. from the inventions and then they live in you forever. Yeah, you, you know? started, I read that you listened to these when you were a little girl. Right. And that was like, it was the first, the first piano Bach. music, first Bach that you heard. Yeah. Um, I think about them almost like that what Bach did for us was he, he wrote, a set of fairy tales for us Mm -hmm. and in the sense that there's something like there's something archetypal about this music about the inventions and they you see them in everything else and when you think about fairy tales when you're a kid you read them just for the plot yeah and then when you're an adult you realize that there's all of this symbolism in them and that actually you've learned about story structure from fairy tales and you see it again and again in in novels and short stories and you see those characters appearing in, in your life yeah. and 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 in books but everywhere and i think that um the inventions are are quite similar in that they show you things about form mm-hmm. and about keys and you know harmonies and how your hands work as a, as a pianist, yeah. and then you just use that forever. There's something sort of like clean and primordial about them at the same time. It's really I don't know. They're so simply complex. It's like, mm-hmm. and it's funny that you use the word archetype because we we actually uh, did a classical classroom where we talked about the C major. Yeah, uh, with the professor from Rice, Kurt Stallman. We started. We talked about how how archetypical this music was. How each one of them creates a circle, mm-hmm. and brings you back home. And we were talking about like why it is that it that we hear that that of being brought back home mm-hmm. in the piece and why it sounds complete. So, yeah. um, Simona Dinnerstein, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It's been really great to talk to you. Thanks. It was really fun to talk with you. Okay, that's it for this episode of Classical Classroom. I hope you dug it. For more, you can always visit our website at classicalclassroomshow.com. Follow us on the social media links that you find there. And P.S., we are now on Insta. We've made like three whole posts, you guys. You can always send us an email at classicalclassroomshow at gmail.com. Thanks to the home of Classical Classroom, King FM, where we can finally open the windows again. And thank goodness, because it was frankly getting a little smelly in here. Thanks to the birthplace of Classical Classroom, Houston Public Media. 
Thanks to the official country club of the podcast, Carter's Budget Country Club, we ain't got golf or anything fancy, but we've got some half-complete decks of cards and day-old sandwiches. Thanks to Simona Dinnerstein for being on the show. Thanks to me for saying words. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.